involved in missions work someday. I thought that stuff was best left to the professionals. I'm from America, and in my town, there was a church on practically every corner. I had no reason to think it wasn't like that everywhere else in the world. It wasn't until I took a short-term missions trip with Envision that I realized that not everybody has the same kind of access to the gospel as we are privileged to have. It didn't take long for me to fall in love with the place, the music, the food, the culture, especially the people. They were a lot like you and me. They had plans for the future. They valued family and education and having a good time. But I couldn't help but notice the overwhelming need. I can't explain to you the brokenness I saw all around me. There was the physical poverty of contaminated drinking water and malnutrition, but there was also the spiritual poverty of having absolutely no hope. I was shaken to my core. If you were to knock on doors in the U.S., it would take about six tries before someone answered who could tell you how to have a relationship with Jesus. In places like postmodern Europe, that number is closer to one in 500 doors. In parts of the world where there is no access to the gospel, it's a staggering one in 30,000 doors. I began to realize that I had taken my privileged access to the gospel for granted. I'd never even thought about this access divide that I had just witnessed and was feeling more and more compelled to bring this access to the people who were lost without it. Lost in the system of religion that binds people into submission. Lost in the discord of deities and idols. Lost in a belief that we are alone in this world. That human enlightenment is the path to truth and that our own works will determine whether we get to go to heaven or not. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? I mean, what would this place be like if Jesus' name could be declared publicly? What if these people truly understood what he did for them and why he did it? That was it for me. I was so overwhelmed by the grace I received from my own salvation, I knew I had to share the same grace with those who didn't have any access to it. Morning. The story you just saw obviously is true. It's not just about envision or short-term missions trip, about a recognition of what's going on around us in a world that is desperately lost without Christ. I hope you got the analogy of the doors, one of the most powerful and visual images you can imagine about what it is that we take for granted at times and what the rest of the world doesn't even have access to. One in six here, one in 500 in Europe, one in 30,000 doors they'd have to knock on to find somebody that could share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we're in Acts chapter 10 and the story that we're going to unpack, going to share some of it with you as well as read the rest, is really along some of those lines this morning about really understanding the grace that Peter had received, one of the ones who really fully understood and grasped that grace and a need to share that grace with the world around them, especially with those who are different. If you needed $20 this morning, I'd give it to you. If you were lost and needed direction, I'd help you out. If I didn't know you, I probably wouldn't give you $500 in the keys to my truck and send you on your way. Now, as exaggerated as that illustration is, there's a lot of times that we're willing to do whatever we can for those that we know well and ignore those that we don't. 
especially those who are different than us. Genuine, authentic Christianity is lived from the inside out. Who you are, what Christ has done in your life, is visual. It's not just audible, so the people hear it and they know Christ has taken control of your life. You share your story, you tell them about Jesus, maybe you tell them what you do on a Sunday and where you go to church and why you go to church. It is also visual. People see that you're different. They recognize that you're different. Christians ought not to be known as the grumpiest people on the planet, right? I mean, we ought not to be grumpy individuals. None of you are, but I know you know people who are. We as believers in Christ who've been radically transformed by the power of the gospel are changed. We're different. And it's visual. People see that. They recognize there's something unique about you, how you handle life, the smile that you have, the joy that you have in the midst of uncertainty and circumstances. There's just something about Christianity that's lived from the inside out. It's recognizable. You're always going to have bad days. I have bad days. <coughs> Times in your life when things don't go well and you really wrestle, as we'll share next Sunday or the Sunday after that. But for the most part, people ought to recognize that Jesus has taken control of our lives, and that's obvious and evident. They see the smile on our face like I see in Jane every Sunday morning, and others who recognize there's just something unique about the relationship that we have with life and God, and it's evident and visible. One of the ways that Christianity is best lived out from the inside out is in how we treat people, how we relate to people, and specifically how we relate to those who are different than us. If you look around the room this morning, we're pretty much all the same. We look the same. We kind of have the same lifestyle and the same experiences of life. And there are a lot of differences between us. But if we're really honest and look around the room, we're pretty much the same. What I often wonder about even my own response at times is how I'm viewed by those who don't look like me and how I react to them, how I respond to them and my view of them. And it's not just about skin color. It's about ethnic and cultural differences. It's about church differences, everything from charismatic to Catholic, economic differences, age differences, even musical preferences. Sometimes, every once in a while, God confronts us and challenges us deep in our soul with how we feel about how we deal with those differences, whatever the differences may be. In Acts 10, we come to a fascinating section of Scripture where God's not only going to deal with some of those issues with Peter, one of the most well-known disciples in the New Testament, but even Peter's deeply entrenched theological views, and specifically his worldview, how he looks at life and how he looks at the world. We all know that classic line in church, we've never done it that way before, right? You've all heard that. Peter's going to wrestle with that. God's going to challenge him in how he looks at people, how he looks at himself, how God works, and he's going to look at all of that in a whole new light. Now, Acts chapter 10 is a continuation of the Great Commission. Take this gospel message that has changed your life to the end of the earth. Begin where you are, he says in Acts, and take it everywhere you go. Every nation under the sun has the right and responsibility as well as the privilege of being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are they going to know unless someone goes? How are they going to know unless someone tells them? How are they going to go unless someone sends them? And so we all know that. We've been doing that in our context in the CNMA for over 125 years. Disciples of Christ have been doing it for over 2,000 years, taking this gospel message to the end of the earth. We all understand that. We know that. But sometimes God has to work in us for us to be able to do that. Sometimes he has to work through us and on us 
to be able to take this gospel message to people who are dramatically and radically different from us. We're going to see in Acts chapter 10 that God has to work harder on people, Peter, the one who's supposed to bring the message, than on Cornelius, the one who's to receive it. Every once in a while, you hear somebody praying, Lord, would you prepare so-and-so for what I'm about to share with them? I want to share with them Jesus. I'm asking you to prepare their heart for what I'm about to say. Sometimes God has to prepare us to be able to have the courage to say it as much as what we're about to say. Have your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Now, I'm not going to read all the story. Uh, On Saturday, we send out a phone tree to everybody who's on it. And that could be all of you. If you just call us and give us your phone number and and your name, we'll put it in the system, and every Saturday you'll get a call. Now, somebody said to me this morning, you woke me up right in the middle of my nap. (laughs) But we'll call you on a Saturday and let you know what's going to go on. For the next couple of weeks, if you heard it yesterday, I'm not going to read the entire section of Scripture, but I want you to read it ahead of time. I'm going to read half of it this morning and tell you the rest. But for these next few weeks, there's a lot of material that we'll cover and a couple, three chapters that I want to share as a foundation for some of the ones in the next few weeks. So please listen to that. It's less than a minute, and it kind of gives you some insights if necessary, but specifically the Scripture that we're reading. This morning we're in Acts chapter 10. I always want you to bring your Bible or Word of God with you so you can follow along with it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devoted to God, devout and God-fearing, gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayer and your gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send to Joppa, bring a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying at another man named Simon, Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him was gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier, one of his attendants, and he sent them along their way. Now about noon the next day, Peter has a similar experience take place. They're on their journey to find him, and Peter's up on his roof praying. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about what this all meant, Cornelius' men found him. He was there at the gate, and they called for Peter. While he was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit of God said to Peter, Get downstairs, some men are looking for you, and so he does. The next day, he starts out with them as they tell them and tell Peter why they're there. He finds out what happened, what took place, where he needs to go, and he follows them to Cornelius' house. The next number of verses retell the story. Now he asks Cornelius, why did you send for me? And Cornelius tells him exactly what happened and what took place. They began to share what's going on, and they recognize the differences culturally between them and the diversity that's taking place, and almost as if a light bulb goes on in Peter's mind. As he gets back to that experience just a day or so before of the sheet coming down, like, what would that mean? Why would you do that, God? What are you trying to say? Almost as if that light bulb comes on. Look at verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. He said, oh, okay. 
And you can almost see that moment. Scripture, I love to read Scripture with imagination. You can almost see that moment coming over Peter saying, "Ah, that's what that was all about. Because to be honest with you, I don't know that he got it. First time, second time, or third time, I'm not sure that he got it. But all of a sudden now he says this, okay, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That is a hugely powerful verse. Now I realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation ones who fear him and do what is right. Next number of verses, he tells the gospel story. He tells why Jesus came, that there was a lot of people searching for God or searching for the truth, and God sent the answer, the one and only answer, in his son Jesus. He tells a story about Christ, tells the gospel message that all of you know. We said a couple of Sundays ago that you don't have to worry about whether or not they understand or have questions about everything you've ever wondered about in Scripture. Most of them just want to know the truth. They want to know why you do what you do. They want to know what this gospel message is all about. And so you have the opportunity to tell them, to talk to them about this great gulf between God and us and the desire to get there. And as hard as I want to and as much as I try to, I'll never be able to reach the holiness that God expects. But man always tries. We'll try to do good things. We'll try to take care of people. We'll help the needs of those. You saw in the clip this morning trying to do as many good works as we possibly can to somehow, if we put the time card in the right place, the doors will open and we'll be welcomed home. But God is holy and we're not. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And when you even say that, or even I say that word, if we're really honest about ourselves, we know we're sinners. If you're not sure, ask the person next to you. Ask your spouse. They'd be happy to verify that very fact when God says we're all sinners. And we all stand in need of grace. And God in his incredible love and his grace, he sent his one and only son so that that gulf between us and him could be bridged. And the only way that it could be bridged, not by our works, not by the good things we have done, the only way that it could be bridged between us and God is his son, Jesus Christ. And so when I receive Christ as my Savior, I have now access to God well beyond the access that I had before, and I have access to heaven. But if I didn't know that, and no one came and told me, what would I know? And so he tells them the story of Christ. In the process of telling them the story of Christ, God lands on them in really powerful and dramatic ways. Very similar to what they experienced in the earlier days in the book of Acts in those first few chapters when the Spirit of God landed and they began to praise Him and speak in tongues and just to be able to give glory and praise and power to God. And Peter, as he watched this experience begin to unfold, remembered again, I believe, to be really honest with you, what God was teaching him in that context. They see the Spirit of God land, and Peter said in verse 47, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized, which is an identification with Christ, as we said a few weeks ago. And the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, not just a pursuer of God, but I'm a follower of Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. At the cross of Christ, what I said to you a moment ago, the gulf between us, this great chasm, that we could never bridge between us and God has been bridged in Jesus Christ. Not only did he break down the barriers between us and God in the cross, we also see the barriers breaking down between man and man, between woman and man, between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free. Paul will reiterate that in Galatians chapter 3 when he said, Now because Christ, we're all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Of course there's male and female. 
But he's saying it's not those things that divide us. We're all part of the family of God once I embrace Jesus as Savior. But ever since Jesus broke all those walls down, man has been putting them back up. One of the great ironies of this text is that it seems that Cornelius is more ready to receive the gospel of Christ than Peter is to give it. Once Cornelius received the vision, he obeyed. I often wonder why three times with Peter. It seemed like everything with Peter had to be three times, but I've often wondered if it took God enough time to get through those barriers that Peter had put in his own mind about the difference between him and other people. The lesson crosses over to some people in some churches who need to be humble and broken before they can ever deal with the need in other people. Because to receive Christ as Savior, I need to be broken and humble and recognize that I need Him. And sometimes to be able to share the message of Christ, I also need to be humbled and broken before I can share it. You see, if we're not careful, we can get a view of the world that sometimes is a little bit aloof. We know we're supposed to reach the lost and dying world with the gospel, but many of the church are fairly selective in who they want to share the good news with. We love it when missionaries go and take the gospel to the end of the earth and share with people who are very different from us. We'll support that and pray for that. But some in some churches would be a little bit uncomfortable if those new brothers and sisters in Christ started coming to church and sitting beside them, maybe even in their pew. Not that y'all have a pew here. But you've seen churches, you all sit in the same place. We're such creatures of habit. You throw me off every once in a while when you sit in a new section, but most of the time I know exactly where you're going to sit and where you're going to be. That's how I tell when you're not here. (laughs) I went to a congregational church. I shouldn't have said a name, but I went to a church in Massachusetts a number of years ago, and they literally had people's names on the pew. Not only is that my pew, their name was on the pew. You don't dare sit in somebody else's seat. Now, we look at all that and say, who would do that? We don't do that. Anybody can have my seat. doesn't matter who they are or what they look like. Really? The foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our view of people. And it's not just something that happened in the book of Acts. It's something that continues to happen down through the ages. The very essence of the CNMA, you and I are a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, right? You and I are a part of this grand effort of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. The very essence of the CNMA came right out of this section. And specifically out of what I just said to you a moment ago, they know that it's okay for somebody else to go and share with them. We just don't want them to come and sit with us. And to all of a sudden, A.B. Simpson, the founder of the CNMA, found himself so desperately crying for the loss of the world, finding that they were all flooding to America for new life and new hope. And so he began to reach them with the gospel of Christ until, and then bring them to his church. And then that really fine, upstanding church didn't want them sitting beside them, let alone sitting around them. And Simpson was astounded. He knew the gospel. The gospel had been around for over 1,800 years of taking the gospel of Christ at the end of the earth to people who needed Jesus, and so he just thought that's what he would do. And because they were coming instead of us having to go, he thought he would invite them to understand Jesus and invite them to my church, and they weren't accepted. At that time, somebody shared with us, actually the president of the alliance, a number of months ago, at that particular time, A.B. Simpson was making over $100,000 a year in our term. I don't even make $100,000 a year. I don't, do I, Bob? (laughs) You'd think I'd know that. I know, I don't. $100,000 a year at that particular time serving that church, and he resigned immediately. He said, I can't be a part of a fellowship that doesn't want to fulfill the gospel. 
and take this gospel message to the end of the earth. And out of that birth, the CNMA began of taking not only Jesus to the end of the earth, but also welcoming them to be a part of the family of God. Today in the United States, in CNMA churches, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shared and sung about in 37 different languages in the United States. And overseas in 180 different languages, over 180 different languages in CNMA churches across this globe in 37 different languages in the United States in CNMA churches today. Because not only is the gospel of Christ for those around the world who desperately need Jesus, it's for your neighbors, for the people that are coming to this place, who are coming to this land, who may be coming to your job and where you work, who don't know Christ. They may be God's seekers. They may be trying to find some answers of life because to be honest with you, most religions in the world are searching for something. That's why they try to reach as high as they can and do all that they can because they're desperately knowing there's something in their lives that aren't fulfilled and this huge hole in their soul. And so they search for God in a thousand different ways. Out of that became the Christian Missionary Alliance, a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family is what our new president calls us. A Christ-centered, Jesus-focused, Acts 1-8, the gospel of the end of the earth, family where we're all a part of this amazing family of God. If not careful, some can take the verse in Corinthians that says, come out from among them and be holy and move from holiness to haughtiness. Sometimes separation from sin also separates from some sinners and some find themselves in little fortresses called the church and only stay there and never reach the world around them, especially those who are different. Now, the primary issue in this text is prejudice. Webster defines prejudice as that preconceived, usually unfavorable idea regarding someone or something, an opinion held in disregard to the facts that contradict it. Connie and I, for the last 15, 17 years, have had the opportunity to speak to missionaries overseas. And every year, every other year, every three years or so, we get the opportunity to do that. I went to do my very first one in the late 90s, and I asked the field director if I have the opportunity to come back. What subject? These are all missionaries from different denominations, but mainly CNMA. What subject would you want me to address? I was stunned by the answer, and the answer was prejudice or racism. But these are missionaries wrestling through the same things Peter did in Acts 10. Not all of them, of course, but I was fascinated by the subject matter. Peter, before this vision, would have looked further than verse 1. At Caesarea was a man named Cornelius, <laughs> known as the Italian regiment. That's enough. I don't need that. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. I don't need to go any further than that. It's originally how he would have thought until God began to work on him. Now, Peter had come a long way. He began to see the big picture of God, and Jesus obviously was sharing that in the last number of days of his ministry. In the last verse of chapter 9, the one that we left off with a couple of weeks ago, it just simply ended by saying that Peter was staying at the house of Simon at Tanner. That in and of itself is a change that Peter is going through. Simon at Tanner wouldn't associate with a Jew, and a Jew certainly wouldn't associate with them. See, to a Jew, Simon would have been unclean because he deals with the skins of dead animals. From his birth, it was ingrained in Peter that Gentiles were dirty. You didn't go to the home of the Gentile. When a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, they had a funeral, not a reception. 
Now, what made it difficult was the appetites and attitudes of the Jews had been born in a soil that was just simply a desire to be holy and healthy. But like everything else man has a tendency to do, that call to health and holiness got perverted. And before you know it, the call to holiness became self-righteousness. All the way to modern times when church behinds, hides behind stone walls, sharing life together but never going beyond and certainly never reaching those who are different. And before you know it, their only friends are Christian, and even then they become selective as long as they believe like them. And they call it holiness. Now, we want to live holy lives. That's what we're called to live. But we never want to have that holiness become haughtiness until we have to have everybody who thinks like us and acts like us and worships like us and looks like us. The tragedy in this section of Scripture, if you really be able to relate it to where you are today, is that in every people group, whoever the Gentiles are in your mind, whoever God will lay down on that sheet, there are Corneliuses who really are searching for the truth. And if we become so exclusive instead of inclusive, we'll never see them, never meet them, and never, ever win them. And if we're not careful, we'll broad brush everyone with statements like, all those people like them. God has a heart for the world. And many in the world don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't do life like us. But they are in desperate need of Christ. They just are waiting for someone to tell them. And it may entail God working on us or some of us or some of them in other churches not like ours so that they can see the world from God's vantage point and not our own. One of my favorite lines is one I'm sure you're familiar with in Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, where he said, I long for the day, I'm praying for the day, when people would be seen for the content of their heart and not the color of their skin. I still long for that day. You see, a real healthy exercise that I, I need to go through as well as I'm asking you to consider. If indeed God were to do for you what he did for Peter... What would be on that sheet? Not animals and birds and reptiles. God was using that as a symbol of what the Jews had considered unclean. And I said before, I think that light bulb went on in Peter's mind going, oh, okay, now I know what you meant. So now that you know what he meant, and God lowered a sheet in front of you or in front of me, who would be on it? Asians? Hispanics? African-Americans? Poor people? Rich people? Geeks, jocks, gay people, homosexuals, divorced people. Who would you dare not have a relationship with or even share the gospel of Christ with because they're not like you and you don't want to be around them? But they need Christ. Would it be charismatics, Catholics, Jews? If we're honest, many of us in any congregation would say probably Muslims. Over the last few weeks, I've been reading a book fascinating rendition of what God's doing around the world. It's called Miraculous Movements. It's about miraculous movements that are sweeping through some parts of the Muslim world today. Let me read you three or four paragraphs. The writer says this. His name is Jerry Trousdale. The Spirit of God is moving in an incredibly powerful way, in a way that many think is unprecedented, as hundreds of thousands of Muslims are turning their lives over to the Lordship of Christ. Former imams, men who bombed Christian churches and persecuted followers of Christ, like who? The Apostle Paul. 
Ordinary men and women who have followed the teachings of Islam all their lives are finding the truths of Jesus Christ, and the numbers are increasing every day. Many of these people are coming to God in dramatic ways, in visions and dreams. Sounds like Acts 10. They're seeing miracles. Men and women are being healed from physical disabilities and addictions. Bands of hardened rebels are voluntarily laying down their arms. And thousands are seeing the power of God's Spirit land on them in dramatic ways. CNN will never tell you that. City team, who is the leaders group that he's with and partner organizations, are seeing changes in increasing numbers of churches planted among Muslims in Southeast Asia and Central Asia, the Middle East and Europe. But the longest and deepest Involvement with Islamic regions that have been in Africa over the last seven years. In the last seven years, more than 6,000 new churches have been planted among Muslims in 18 different countries, most of them in Central Africa and South Africa, West Africa. Hundreds of former imams, now followers of Christ, are boldly leading great move- movements of Muslims out of Islam. 45 different unreached Muslim-majority people groups who a few years ago had no access to God's Word, as we saw a moment ago, now have more than 3,000 new churches among them. Now, maybe they wouldn't have been on your sheet. For a lot of people in America, they would be. If God were to lower the sheet, who would be on it? Who is it easy, if we're able even to say that word, to ignore? And think they'll never care. They're not interested. I'm not interested in them. I certainly don't want to be around them. I know they got issues. I know they look different. I know they act different. But there's no way on the planet I want to be around them. We'd never say that. But sometimes by a reaction or lack of reaction or just our attitude or lack of sharing with them or going around them at all, our biases and prejudices come out. problem is if believers in Christ don't share the gospel of Jesus, as you saw a moment ago, out of Romans, they'll never be reached and lost for eternity. You see, changed people, people who really are transformed by Christ, change. That's what transformation is all about. We change. We look at life different. We look at ourselves different. We look at God different. We look at the world different, and we look at people different. We've got to sometimes, every once in a while, be really honest with how we look at ourselves, but more importantly, how we look at people, and especially those who are different from us, and do everything we can to build bridges and not walls, to be able to share the gospel of Christ with those who are desperately looking for answers in life, who are looking in all the wrong places and searching in all the wrong ways with the one answer that we as followers of Christ have found. A couple of years ago, half a dozen times now throughout the years, we've had Evan and Jewel Evans, who are missionaries in Senegal, West Africa, a nation that's 23 to 25% Muslim. Over the last number of years, the students from Dakar Academy that we've shared with, and you heard me talk about before, have taken their journey out beyond where they are in that academy, beyond their walls, to these villages that desperately need Christ. Some of the villages are incredibly remote, some that no one has ever seen, no one has ever shared the gospel of Jesus with deeply entrenched in the Islamic faith. And every single year around January or so, they take a group out and they do it in fall as well and take them to these remote villages and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. If you heard Evan share a number of months ago when he was here, God is doing some dramatic things, exactly what I see here, with their coming to Christ in visions and dreams and dramatic healings, and God is doing some amazing work. When I came back in the spring and shared the video that you're about to see in a moment, 
Evan asked if, if any church, and obviously ours is one of them, could help them with a vehicle to take the gospel and to take their unit that transports everything to these remote villages. And our missions team a couple of weeks ago said we'd love for you to promote that and see if our people are willing to get behind it in any way. I'm not asking you to take, one, take out of one pot and give to another, but if God speaks to you over the next week or so and you want to give, this would be a great cause. I'm going to let them share in 30 seconds their story. The next big project you see to my left. Okay, this is our evangelism trailer, and uh, we are trying to raise funds uh, for a vehicle to pull this baby. And the reason we need a pretty powerful vehicle is because uh, we run into a lot of uh, sand, and the roads here are not that good, and we do a lot of our ministry out in the bush. And so uh, we are wanting to raise funds, so we get a, a land cruiser to be able to pull this. What we're asking you is to consider it. God lays it on your heart to be involved. We'd love for you to do that. The bigger thing that I would love for you to do this week at some point is to be really honest with God and your relationship with him and how you view the world around you and how you view those that either God brings into your path for some reason or the other or people who you know, if you're really honest, are dramatically different from you and I. And are there ways, are there things that God wants to do in me as he did in Peter so that it changes my view of them? and their lostness without Christ. That would be one of the best exercises you could do this week. I will as well. Father, I thank you for your word. Every single Sunday I say it, and I'm still fascinated by the fact that here we are 2,000 years after it was written, and it's just as relevant as when it was shared. And some of the things that Peter had to work through, I'm sure, are some of the things we have had to work through, certainly things I have had to work through. And so, Father, I ask in your name and by your spirit in not only these moments here, but in our quiet time with you throughout the week, that if there are people that we already have recognized are on that sheet, I pray that you'll speak to us and we will be known as not only believers who are in love with you, and enjoy our relationship with each other, but are really, really passionate and concerned about those who are dramatically different from us, but are just as lost as we were before somebody shared Jesus with us. So I ask you to speak as only your spirit can. Sometimes, like James says, it lets us see ourselves in the mirror and see what needs to change. And so give us the courage to change. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I don't leave yet. The last Sunday morning, we had a lot of people uh, come forward. And if you were a part of that, you saw that. And we just so enjoy the freedom. Every Sunday, you have the same opportunity. A matter of fact, some are going to come this morning and ask for healing and, and relational issues. I, we found it fascinating as we talked among the elder group and the people who were praying last week that almost half of the people that came forward were for relational issues, not just physical issues. 
And every single Sunday sitting around you are people who are really hurting. And uh, just even being sensitive to one another, because we usually don't share it and tell you what's going on and, and all of that. If indeed last week or in these weeks, God did something dramatic in your life, we'd love to know. At the end of that section of scripture in verse 41, it said, Peter brought Tabitha down. Remember the one he raised from the dead? Peter brought Tabitha down and showed her to the widows. One of the reasons we do my stories or testimonies about what God has done. And so if God's done something in your life, we'd love for you to share that. A year ago, we did one of those services and Donnie Weaver, who usually sits in the second or third pew and for years and months. I remember Bob always bringing her walker down here and having to put it in a corner because she had to have it. And God dramatically touched her in that service. And from that point till now, she's never had to use the walker again. It's fascinating with how God works and how he chooses to work and to whom he chooses to work, as we said last Sunday morning. And if he's worked in your way or in your life, we'd love to know it. We'd love to share the story. This morning, some are going to come and uh, ask us to pray, and we'll do that. We have some elders here this morning. We'd love for you to help us and to pray with them. And, uh, but even if I don't announce it from Sunday to Sunday, that's why we're here. And if we can help you in any way, we'd love to. Please pray about what I shared this morning and what maybe God wants to teach you, like Peter, and how we look at the world around us. God bless you. Have a great, God's given us an amazing weekend, hasn't he? Enjoy the day to the fullest. Love you. We'll see you next Sunday.